and welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palmar. Our topic on today's show is listening, which we consider the true power of love. So in this hour, we are taking a look at real listening to ourselves and to one another and to nature and unlocking the vast world of what is actually communicated, the gift we give to ourselves and the other when we truly listen. Listening, the true power of love, all that and more today on An Organic Conversation. Yeah, I love that adage. Um, God gave us two ears and one mouth so we would listen twice as often as we speak. And so what is the value in spending twice as much time listening versus speaking? What do we gain from that? I'm mm. excited to find out. Yeah, you know, and I've always um, wondered with all the noise that is in the world and all the, all of the inputs that we have coming at us all the time, you know, that I, it's been said that often people can't hear the callings that are coming to them or the opportunities that are coming to them in the world because of the distractions that are up to that we're up to every single day and every minute um, with iPhones and, and apps and computers and traffic noise and everything. And I, so I just wonder, I wonder if we can, if we can learn to listen better amongst the noise that we're, that's around us every single day. Yeah, great. We'll find out. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And this show is all about listening. We'll take a quick break, but stay tuned for our first interview about listening, the true power of love, only here on an organic conversation. That and more right after the break. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's show is about listening. The idea for the show came from a quote Mark saw by David Oxberg. David Oxberg says, Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Perhaps one of the greatest gifts we can give, true, active, compassionate listening. One of the greatest gifts we can give to another and to ourselves. In our society, there's a strong focus on communicating right, expressing precisely what you want to say, using positive, nonviolent language. 
While good communication is highly important, there's a role in the receiver, in the one who listens, that can make or break a conversation. The power of active, attentive listening can open a world that has been locked for many of us. It is as beautiful for the one being listened to as it is for the one who listens. Listening, the true power of love, today on An Organic Conversation. To our guest today, joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia, is Susan Gillis Chapman, an author and family therapist who um, has an upcoming book and who has worked in the world of listening for almost three decades. Susan, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. Um, it's, it's such a wonderful topic. Uh, it gives me goosebumps, actually, because it's well, something... Well, me too. <laughs> me too. I'm so thrilled. This is actually my favorite conversation. So thank you. I'm so grateful to be invited to join you. Yes, it's a pleasure for us too. Um, let's start with you. You have been working and applying these principles of of mindful communication and mindful listening for 25 years, um, from battered women's shelters to maximum security prisons to Buddhist monasteries. How did you find this work for you? When What was the calling that you actually listened to and followed? Well, I think we're going to have to go back a lot more than 25 years. Um, in my book, I actually pay tribute to my dad. And I think that, you know, the experience of being listened to and engaging in a really meaningful conversation or a dialogue is actually, um, it, it, as you said, you know, that's, that's the impression that cannot, it can't be taught. It's an experience. And so when I was 12 years old, I had what I called a rite of passage where we got this very wild dog, big golden lab that needed to go for a walk every night. And so... My dad, who was kind of a philosopher, shy man who just, he did a lot of reading, he and I would go out for a walk and, you know, we would get away from the television and the family home and we'd go out into the foggy streets with the dog and he would share with me what he was reading about, which was Viktor Frankl and Martin Buber and all of these very exciting new ideas about how you could bring together relationships with profound dialogue rather than kind of superficial, meaningless chatter. And I was totally ignited by that. Um, and I saw how communication and relationship and psychology and spirituality all come together on that one point of deeply opening to uh, yourself to the natural world around you and to other human beings with this profound respect that Martin Buber calls I and thou. And so that's what set me in motion uh, with the benefit of hindsight. That's where I see it all beginning. And that's, of course, um, that's your dad speaking, yes? My in that dad moment. was sharing with me, yeah. Yes. He was, and, uh, not so not, was the, like, not uh -huh. your dog. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Because we do want to talk about that, too. Everything is communicated, and it's actually amazing when you listen to what animals have to say. Um, of course, this was in this case your, your, your uh, father, but taking the dog for a walk, there's uh -huh. the whole world of the natural elements exactly. that are speaking to us constantly and, um, and wanting to be heard, and we get into that a little bit later during the show. So, Susan, you know, with as many, you know, many of us feel like we are listening, but with as much miscommunication as we experience in our lives, I don't know if this is necessarily true. 
how do you think most people define listening? And then what is the gap between the, the common practice of listening and real, true listening? Well, Mark, what you're describing there is actually what I call my own personal learning curve and what I've been trying to work with with others for the last 25 years. Um, and that is that fundamentally there's two patterns. There's a pattern of open communication and a pattern of closed communication where we're just kind of bouncing off of each other. And um, compassionate listening comes from deeply understanding our own closed patterns. Uh, It's not about judging them as bad, but it's about noticing that a lot of the times when we think we're listening, we're actually fearful of what we're hearing, and so we kind of block it, so barriers go up. So my, my starting point is notice what open listening feels like, and you can begin in silence. In fact, most of us begin in nature, you know, listening to birds, noticing that our thoughts subside and we start hearing uh, the sound of the, the brook or the, um, the natural world. And then gradually we go from there. We discover what openness feels like with other people, which, as you said, is actually the experience of love. Uh, it's of allowing people to be who they are. And, um, and one thing that's really important that I'd like to keep getting back to, which you said in the opening, is that open listening is actually a transformative process. Uh, it allows both parties to change, both the speaker and the listener transform in the process of um, of open communication. Mm. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us is author and family therapist Susan Gillis Chapman um, discussing parts of her book, upcoming book, The Five Keys to Mindful Communication, joining us from Vancouver as we are unlocking and exploring the world of true listening. Susan, there's a really beautiful quote in your book. I I went and I took a look at the preview on Amazon that says, before you speak, ask yourself, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Does it improve on the silence? And what you were just saying there about, um, about the silence, oh my God, that's so beautiful and powerful. Well, thank you, but I want to make sure that the uh, that you know that that's not my quote. That's quoting Sri Baba, I believe. Yes, I was actually hoping you would say because I was afraid I was going to mispronounce it. So I'm happy that you yeah. popped in with it. <laughs> but I, it is it really brings us back to the difference between meaningful communication, and that doesn't mean being overly self conscious, like uh, oh gosh, what if what I'm saying is not really right? You know, um, it's about making space in our lives for we're allowing communication to happen. Yeah, does it improve on the silence? And um, I mean, you're right. Uh, it's not about being insecure about what you're saying, but it is about, um, or isn't it about, retrieving back what you actually don't mean. I, I'm finding myself recently, uh, when we started the show, you know, two and a half years ago, um, to to practice listening because w- with guests, um, you know, that's the heartbeat of the show. And so now in life, I'm trying to use that principle. And when I say something and it doesn't ring true to me, it does not improve in silence. I do go back and say, let me rephrase this or let me. Uh, w- what's your what's your take on that? How do you practice this? Can you can you practice this? Well, let me begin by citing some really important research that really influenced my work a lot. And it came from a feminist psychologist named Mary Field Belenke back in the 80s. 
And what she did was she gave an opportunity to be listened to to a number of Appalachian women who were what were called silenced. In other words, they had never been listened to. And what she documented was that the process of being listened to allows us to begin to listen to ourselves and sort out what do I believe, what do I not believe. And it changes us from being indoctrinated listeners, where we just believe everything we hear, to really developing that insight and um, discriminating wisdom that is the process of exploring our own, listening to ourselves. Mm. So I think that that process is really an important one. Wonderful. Um, Yes, Sita, yet. Another follow-up question. Yeah, no, actually, that just reminds me of something that um, that my yoga instructor says, which is that the mind speaks very loudly and the heart speaks very softly, and you have to learn to quiet the mind so you can hear, you can listen and hear what the heart is trying to tell you, because that is your truth. Absolutely. In my work, I, I have a, a couple of basic principles. One is that human beings are fundamentally open and we-first by nature, that we long to listen and to connect, that that's who we are. And that this natural communication system that we all have has three components. One is an awake body. The second is a tender, empathic heart. And the third is an open mind. And so those three, when they're working together, that's what open communication is. Um, The obstacle is that we are in the habit of disconnecting from that natural system. Yes. Um, with us on the phone from Vancouver is uh, Susan Gillis Chapman, author and family therapist, uh, as we are looking in this hour about um, on, uh, on active listening. Um, this show idea came from a quote by David Oxbirds, who says, being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. And Mark, you picked that up where? Well, I, would, I was hoping you'd ask. Um, <laughs> actually, I get to read a blog each week, um, Good Clean Love. Um, and that blog, in that blog uh, several months ago. Yeah, that Wendy. Would, Wendy that, Strigar. Shout we out to Wendy. Yeah. Yes, the loveologist. The loveologist. Um, and I read her blog every week. And that was the quote. She always starts it off with some sort of quote before she goes into the writing of her blog. And that just stuck with me, and I just thought, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, is this the, one of the truest statements <laughs> I've ever heard? I just yes. I want to I hear more about this. Yes, and does it improve in silence what you have to say? That's very beautiful, too. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sita. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan, stay with us. We have so many more questions for you, and we want to listen to you um, for many more answers um, to come Susan Gillis Chapman, as we are looking into active listening in this hour of an organic conversation, um, we'll take a quick break. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned.
My name is Earl Herrick, and I am the owner of Earl's Organic Produce, a San Francisco Bay Area distributor fully committed to organic produce. From the time one could find organic fruits and vegetables only in natural food stores to now, when schools and fine restaurants feature organic, we have been forging relationships with growers for over 20 years. If you want to offer the finest organic produce to your employees or customers, find us at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. The Farmer Veteran Coalition is a nonprofit organization dedicated to provide veterans with resources, education, and technical assistance to prepare them to become successful farmers. After serving their country, many veterans are interested in working with the land but do not have a background in farming or ranching. Help the Farmer Veteran Coalition to assist veterans in starting a new career in sustainable agriculture. For more information, please visit farmvetco.org. That's farmvetco.org. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our show topic today is listening, active listening, which we consider the true power of love. An entire hour on listening to ourselves and to one another, how to learn the skills to unlock this vast world that is offered. Um, but before we dive back into the interview with author and family therapist Susan Gillis Chapman, who's joining us today from Vancouver, British Columbia. He's the, he has the weekly produce update with um, our very own produce expert, Mark Mokehi. Well, what we're going to talk about today, in 1794, a couple years before you were born, Helga, um, <laughs> our Watson season was described as Italian asparagus, okay? And so you're probably going, okay, Italian asparagus, what's that? Well, it's actually something that most of us eat probably every single week. And Earl's going to, Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic, the voice of the market, is going to tell us a little bit more about what we're talking about today. Earl, what's going on? Hey, hey Mark, how y'all doing? Good. Hey, great. great. How are you? Earl. Hey, do you have any Italian asparagus there at the market? Well, you know, Italian asparagus, you, that, that, wow, that's almost totally bizarre. But yeah, we're, that's broccoli, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and so, you know, a lot of people are, there's that other stuff that's being uh, become real popular, and that's broccolini, uh-huh. which might be a little closer to what mm-hmm. what your your lead in here. Well, broccolini actually is uh, it's often misidentified as young broccoli, and it's a yep. cross between broccoli and uh, kailan, which is Chinese broccoli. That's it, baby. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and that's become very very popular. In the, yeah, I would say the last year at least. 
you know, out here in California, all the restaurants are are, are using it, and and there's a bunch of different type of varieties there uh, in within that subculture because sure. some of them are very very sweet, sure, and some of them are a little more mild. And since we're on it, Earl, what's what's broccoli rob? Well, broccoli rob is a whole other thing too, but. You know, you can think of it in terms of some of the side shoots that come up on broccoli. Because traditional broccoli, it, it makes one crown. So you can think of uh, Rob as some of the side shoots that come up. Good. It's not its own plant. Well, and, own... and actually, actually, uh, if you don't mind me chiming in here, is broccoli, broccoli Rob is really more of the type of first the first plant where the our new or broccoli we know as today came from because broccoli actually comes from cabbage right yeah, and and the cabbage plant would form up the shoot and they took cabbage plants that, that had the shoot come up and they took that and then they developed broccoli rob and then that yeah. eventually developed into the broccoli that we know today and and actually the broccoli that we know today was first brought to the United States by Italian market gardeners who settled right here in San Francisco Fascinating. Earl, tell us about the season. Is, is How's broccoli this year? What can we expect? What's the taste like, the flavor? Well, you know, we've, had a, we've had a very, really favorable weather this year, and broccoli is, is grown all over the place. Uh, this time of year, we're in a transition from uh, the Yuma area and the, and the Southern California what uh, I want people to get to know is the Imperial Valley, which is right on the border of California and Mexico. And that favorable weather in those production areas, we've had a good supply, and we're just coming out of that. So I think I think most people uh, last couple of weeks have been enjoying some of the best pricing of the year, maybe ninety nine cents a pound. Yeah, all over the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How long How long will that last? Well, <laughs> I, I would say it's probably over right now. Yeah. Or it's, and it's probably been over. Now, broccoli is one of those things, though. You can, you can, it stores incredibly well. You're probably going to get into that mark, and so you can, you can get a big inventory and carry that through. But I would say we're through that because the southern, the southern portions now in Arizona and Mexico and Southern Cal are ending as the heat ramps up, and you get more production coming out of the central coast think Santa Barbara and Ojai, and then the bottom of the great San Joaquin Valley, which is around Bakersfield. And, and Earl, since you're bringing that up about temperature, since it's leaving one area of the, the state or the country and coming up to another part where people are going to be getting their broccoli from, aren't there different varieties that actually grow in those different, um, uh, those different temperature ranges? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, there's no doubt about it. As we all know, broccoli is a real staple, and to have that production year-round, you they, different varieties have been developed, different hybrids t- to be able to respond to the weather and the conditions. So, the broccoli varieties that are going to be planted now, that are going to c- come in fruition in the summer, have to be able to uh, respond to that heat. So it's a whole different variety than something else that's going to be planted in the fall that produces in the winter. Because when you get that intense heat, you don't want it to bolt. Right. And how yeah. does that change the flavor profile, Earl, right now, from what is leaving us to what's coming next? Yeah, the, the flavor profile is going to go from sweet to a little a little more uh, brassicas, a little more maybe slightly bitter. Mm-hmm. But most of the varieties are 
are developed to still maintain that sweetness, but you're going to get a little more sweet in the fall and winter than you're going to get in the summer. Yeah, the cooler A little weather. bit more grassy in summer. Yeah, nice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. great. Well, Earl, thank you so much. As always, what a pleasure. Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce, <laughs> the voice of the market, giving us some information on broccoli. Uh, Earl, we'll have you on uh, next week. We'll talk about something else. Can't wait for it. Keep that Italian asparagus coming. <laughs> Thanks, Earl. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, Earl. Thanks, Earl. And so if you're at the store and you're buying broccoli now, then you want to make sure that you're picking up bunches or uh, you know stems that have a nice, heavy, tight head on them with green florets and firm stalks. And you want to make sure that, as always, it's heavy for its size. You don't want light broccoli. It means that it's probably starting to age. And you want to avoid broccoli with any yellowing florets because that means it's starting to age or it, it had a warm spell and it's actually getting hot. It'll be more, it'll be more bitter then. Um, when you're preparing your broccoli, you just need to rinse it just to get any sand or anything that's been in the field out of it. And many, many people will cut the stems off their broccoli. It's interesting to me that we spend $1.99 or $2.99 on broccoli, and then we cut off our stems and don't use them. You know, my recommendation is to think differently on this because those broccoli stems taste amazing. If you are willing to peel them down a little bit and get a little of that toughness off um, and then slice them up thin, you you will find that they're not only great raw, but they are wonderful steamed. And you can steam them with your florets if you make little uh, broccoli stem coins to throw into the steamer. Um, lastly, um, you can keep them in the fridge in a plastic bag. If you buy it fresh, you can probably keep it for about 10 days in the refrigerator. So, you know, it's a powerhouse of nutrients, which I'm sure Sita is going to talk about a little bit more. But yeah, broccoli. Go get some, you know, and uh, and you know, make sure that uh, you just don't keep it for too long. Mark, um, thank you. That's what's in season with Mark Mokihi. Mark, um, Earl mentioned it stores really well. Can you freeze broccoli? Uh, you know, freezing broccoli, you would more than likely have to blanch it first. Because it would, I think it would just break down in the freezer. It wouldn't come out of the freezer the same way. Because you can buy frozen broccoli. If you're going to freeze it, you'd probably have to flash freeze it either in the field. Like that's what they do with frozen vegetables. They literally take it out of the field and flash freeze it. Or if you got it home, you might want to probably give it a quick blanch before you stuck it in the freezer. Um, and there it stores super well. And then it would store to better, yeah. Right. Wonderful. Thanks. Again, there was Mark Mulcahy with What's in Season for that weekly produce update. And uh, Sita, will you tell us in your holistic bite later in the show how to blanch? I will, Helga. How did you know? <laughs> because I don't know how to freeze things right. But. And also some, some good tips on what to do with those stems, too, because they're so delicious and you wouldn't want to waste those. Yes, the broccoli stems. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And the topic for our show today is listening, which we consider the true power of love. We're taking a close look at listening to ourselves, to one another, to nature, unlocking the vast world of what is actually communicated in the gift we give ourselves in the process. Still with us from Vancouver, British Columbia, is author and family therapist Susan Gillis Chapman. Susan, um, Are you still there? Yes, I am. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Susan, before we went to break, you were talking about the, the three things that people need to be open in communication is an awake body, a tender, empathetic heart, and an awake mind or an open mind. And I, it seems like such a peaceful way to approach communication. And it got me wondering, does that mean that there's no more arguing? That's a really good question because uh, – 
I think that's what's behind all of our interest in communication is the fact that it hurts so much <laughs> when it breaks down. And um, I think there actually is such a thing as toxic arguing. And uh, if, if you don't mind my borrowing the organic uh, metaphor, uh, arguing as compost. Um, so when, when you are open, um, what it basically means is that you're, you never lose sight of respecting the other person. But it does not mean that you can't have disagreements or arguing or anger. But it's uh, you just you maintain this respectful relationship to the other person, and that's a huge challenge. But when you do that, the argument turns into a compost. It actually uh, becomes fertilizer for the garden, as it were. Whereas toxic argument that occurs when you shut down your heart, when you narrow your mind. And when you, when you disconnect from the intelligence of your body, that actually turns toxic and it causes harm. And to me, that's one of the most important messages I'd like to put out there is that there is such a thing as poisoning relationship. And there's another uh, very important process, which I associate with mindfulness, of taking every communication and, and making it meaningful, whether it's somebody at the bus stop or whether it's uh, your partner for life or your dying parent that, or your animal <laughs> or your, your garden, that uh, you can actually make every single relationship in your life meaningful. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so that brings back what you were talking about of understanding your patterns of listening, whether it's open or closed patterns. From just what you were saying there, I was thinking of myself in my own relationships where there are certain points where I automatically I stopped listening because yeah. because something it triggered something inside me that I don't want to hear anymore, or I feel like okay, well they're not they're they're not listening, so I'm not listening either type of thing. I I, I just just in that moment when you said that, I went wow, okay, now I recognize that for sure. And that is so important, and I call that the red light. You notice that the light has changed from green to red, mm. and being able to notice that is a huge step in mindfulness because. When you notice yourself shutting down, you get a lot of information about how to open up again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's, a meta- there's an interesting metaphor in the mindfulness tradition, and that is that listening is like being a teacup, and the speaker is like the teapot. And so they say there's three basic ways that you stop listening. Um, one is that the cup is upside down, and so the tea has nowhere to go, and that's because you've lost interest. Um, the second one is the cup has a crack in it. So even though you're listening, it keeps dribbling out and you can't stay focused. And that's really because we, we're very easily distracted. And the third one it's is already actually, full. Yeah, the third one is a little more dangerous because that means that you edit what you hear. And the person who's speaking is not heard, but you think that you heard them. You just edited them with what was already in your cup. Oh, what is, what about the fourth one where the cup is full? I mean, I I find myself t- sometimes in in conversations where this is for this moment all I can hear, um, and I literally need right. a time out. I need a right. break to you know go on right. a walk and come back to it, um, whatever it may be. Yes, absolutely, and that's why I think when you ask the question, how do we cultivate this? The metaphor I use is a green zone that we really do have to um, develop the skills of listening beginning with creating a green zone for ourselves, which is silence, meditation, self-reflection, yoga, 
um, being alone in nature, learning how to listen to what it feels like to be awake in our body and to feel the sensitivity in our heart, ask ourselves the question, how do I, what am I feeling? And, and then um, I really believe that we need to create intentional green zones for conversation with others. So when I said, yes, we can make every conversation in our life meaningful, nonetheless, most of us don't have the, we don't create the kind of time and space we need for genuinely meaningful conversation. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had back, um, you said earlier in the show, um, it defi it's defined, a good conversation is defined by whether or not you're open to it or not, right? In, in, a, in a simplified way, of, if I'm repeating this correctly. Um, uh -huh. How do you how do you stay open through that green zone? I mean, it's it, what you're describing is so true, even if you have never practiced it. The moment you come back from a nature walk, mm -hmm. it's hard to get into a really heated argument. Nature will balance you and will make you more open and your heart more open to, um, you know, to, to hear or to express whatever it may be. Is, yeah. is, that, is that the foundation? I think so, and I think the foundation is changing how we think. Like our, our society, or at least the dominant culture, has a narrative that suggests that we're all these individual people um, and that we have boundaries that are actually more like barriers. But if you actually change and use a, a more realistic view of who we are, it's more like nature. We're fluid. We have seasons. Um, we're interdependent. We're, we're naturally connected. So, you know, changing how we think of ourselves is one. And number two, I think being very compassionate to the fact that our intention is to be open, and in spite of that, we shut down. And that intention and sympathy towards ourselves is what makes us more patient with others. So it, it's a really, it's an intentional uh, way of viewing our life, changing how we view the fact that human society is basically good and well-intended but that we can easily lose track of <laughs> what we're trying to accomplish. You're listening to an organic conversation in this case. I'm Helga Helberg. <laughs> I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And you're listening to Susan Gillis Chapman, who's joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia, in this hour of listening, the true power of love. Um, Susan, please comment a little bit more on anger. You mentioned a few minutes ago that anger can be part of a conversation. How, how do you... Um, how do you stay open in your heart and still hold anger as an expression of, you know, somebody being frustrated or in fear? Yeah, that's a really good point. In my book, I talk about red light anger, yellow light anger, and green light anger. And um, the red light anger is the toxic anger. That's where you turn another person into an object of hatred um, and you want to hurt them. Uh, Green light anger is when you actually want to break through a barrier that's come up in your relationship. And uh, yellow light anger is when you're hurt or disappointed by uh, the barrier going up. So there's, I think there's, it's helpful to begin by distinguishing that because toxic anger is toxic. And so sometimes we use the word aggression to distinguish that from the energy of anger. Um, But my mindfulness teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, talked about the energy of emotions as all fundamentally a longing to connect with each other and to the world around us. And so the true energy of any intense emotion is love, you could say. 
It's just that it gets frozen into these misunderstandings that my best interest is to hurt you right now. And that's what toxic anger is. Yeah, and that's, as you said, it's really different from being hurt or expressing a frustration or this big disappointment, um, which which comes from actually loving, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't care about that person. It's That's exactly right. And this is something my dad taught me because he was a physician. And he, he said, a healthy body feels pain. And the fact that it hurts to be disconnected from someone proves to me that human beings are meant to be connected. Um, Susan, your book is coming up, The Five Keys to Mindful Communication, I believe, in... When when will that be available? Uh, bookstore is April 10th, so it's coming up. April 10th, and um, also for more information, of course, your website, susangillischapman.com. You can also find all that on facebook.com forward slash Conversation. Um, Susan, stay with us. We want to apply all these principles uh, to our work in relationship and to the great work um, you have been doing uh, in the last 25 years. We'll take another quick break to honor our underwriters, but we'll be right back with you. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helver. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And uh, again, we'll take a super quick break, but stay tuned for more. So baby, talk to me Like lovers do Walk with me Like lovers do Baby, talk to me Like lovers do Walk with me Like lovers do Baby, talk to me Like lovers do Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. 
Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And today's show is about listening. The power of active, attentive listening can open a world that has been locked for many of us. It is as beautiful for the one being listened to as it is for the one who listens. Before we get back to that interview with our guest today, Susan Gillis Chapman, author and family therapist, author of the upcoming book, The Five Keys to Mindful Communication. Um, he is our very own Chef Sita with her holistic bite. <laughs> Thank you so much, Helga. We're talking about broccoli today, and I've actually been on such a broccoli kick lately. Um, more specifically, broccolini, because I love how tender it is. I think the length of the stem, it's so tender. And then the florets are a little bit softer. They're not quite as crumbly. And my favorite way to eat it is right out of the oven when those florets are really crispy. So the way that I do it is I blanch it first. And we talked about blanching earlier in this show. So what you want to do is you want to get a pot of water boiling really rapidly and make sure it's well salted water. Sometimes they say make it as salty as the sea because then that water, um, salted water will get into the vegetable that you're cooking and you'll get more flavor out of it. And it also helps to bring out the bright color. So yeah, so get a pot of salted boiling water going and then you drop your broccoli or broccolini in and it only takes a few minutes you'll notice that the color will get really really bright vibrant not army green that's too much (laughs) you still want it to be al dente a little bit like pasta and then when it comes out I put it right onto a a baking sheet with some olive oil and sea salt and into a 350 degree oven and then cook it for about 10 or 15 minutes depending on how crispy you like it and then it comes out and the the length of it the stem is nice and tender and like I said the florets are really crispy and oh my God, it's so delicious. And I've been eating it like every single day. And it's such a tasty way to get these benefits from greens in your diet. And broccoli is part of the cruciferous family. And there have been so many studies. In fact, we had a news piece about it a couple months ago that the cruciferous vegetables are remarkable, uh, have remarkable anti-cancer effects from a phytochemical in them known as glucosinolates. And then broccoli is also a great source of vitamin K, which research is showing will help enhance the body's ability to promote strong bones when it's paired with a vitamin D. It also helps to support detoxification in the body. And from our recent Natural Baby show, you know now that detox is hugely important for a clean, healthy system um, necessary to support your life or the life of anybody who you're going to bring into this world. So, so yeah, that's that's the dish. That's the bite on broccoli. I promised a little bit of info about what to do with those stems. Um, I like to, like Mark said, peel them so you get some of that fibrous outside off and then cut it really thin at a diagonal and then go across it again to make these little matchsticks. We call it a matchstick cut. It's a Japanese knife cut. And then you can saute that into a stir fry, which is really great, delicious mm-hmm. with some sesame oil and some candied pecans and orange zest. Or <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling optimistic, or um, I save them and I use them in my soup because if you're going to puree it and make broccoli soup anyway, you're not going to really notice the fact mm-hmm. that you're using the stock. So don't throw them away. It's the bulk of the vegetable, really. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would do. And Helga, I 
know you had some suggestions too for what you do with the stems. I like the Japanese knife cut, how we call it. We, we as in your people. <laughs> we? we? Yeah, oh, yeah. we as in chefs. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I feel excluded. Oh. Talk about active listening. Do you call it matchstick? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> what I like to do is to just cut really thin slices of the stem and then put a little bit of olive oil and salt on it and bake them. And they turn into the most simple, delicious vegetable chips you've ever eaten. It's really ridiculously simple, and they turn out beautiful. You know, that exclusion, Helga, that might be one of your closed patterns of listening. You might want to look at that. But I just, you know, the interesting thing about the, the interesting things that because many, many vegetables, when I've read how to cook things over the years, is there's things that you don't salt previously, oh, right? You don't uh-huh, always uh-huh. want to, because there's things that it isn't good to put salt in the water, like if you're boiling potatoes or different mm. things like that, right? So that was interesting to hear that mm. you would salt the water. Mm-hmm. And lastly, for as a tip on this, is do not overcook your broccoli because it actually loses lots of vitamin C mm-hmm. if you overcook your broccoli. Mm-hmm. So you, if you're going to air, air to the lesser side. That's where that, by putting it in the oven, like what you were talking about, actually helps get those keep those nutrients while cooking it up and making it crisp. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Sita Rani Paloma, Chef Sita, with that weekly holistic bite. Thank, Thank you. you. Wonderful. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palmer. And we are talking about listening. We're listening to uh, Susan Gillis Chapman, author and family therapist, listening being one of the most beautiful gifts we can give to the one we listen to and to ourselves. So, you know, Susan, um, while we were taking a break, I was talking to Sita and Helga, and, I, and I've noticed that often when I go into a retail environment or a restaurant or something like that, someone asks me how I am as just kind of a standard question, and they're often surprised when I ask them how they are. I say fine, and then I say, how, but how are you today? And is there is it something in society today where people almost don't, know how to respond when they've been listened to <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know it's just they they always seem odd but they always smile when I ask them Yeah because probably when you ask them you're showing some interest and curiosity uh which is cutting through the kind of formulaic pattern right Mhm mhm um and I I lived for a long time in Cape Breton Nova Scotia where everybody said how are you and they actually meant it um it was quite interesting so I think that one of the key points really is if, if our intention is to genuinely be interested in another person, the other person feels it. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. if you don't say anything, mm-hmm. they can feel it in your eyes, they can feel it in your body language, you know. So this is really coming back to what is our intention and how can we kind of recalibrate that intention all the time. And and that being said, Susan, um, it does need a safe environment. And so when we apply your principles, um, as described in your book, The Five Keys to Mindful Communication, um, that is coming out just now, um, such an important book, uh, h- how do we maneuver that or how do we apply that in this world where perhaps on average we are not being listened to well enough that than we could? Um, because it does need that safe environment, and it is a new way of relating to one another. How do you implement it? Well, I think the the green zone or the safe environment is like the greenhouse. You know, it's there until you're strong enough to take it out into the world. But at the same time, we live in the world, you know. 
And uh, I think, you know, for instance, a friend of mine said, you know, when you get onto an airplane, why don't you practice being curious about what the passion of the person next to you is? And so you can actually put yourself into situations where your intention, or for instance, volunteering at hospice, you know, your, your intention is to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the feeling that we're not being heard is a hunger, but as you said in the beginning, the, the, act, the action of listening to someone else can actually feed that feeling of not being heard as well because you open to love, and it's always a rewarding experience. So even if you're not being heard but you're genuinely hearing someone else, there's a deep sense of uh, nourishment that comes from that. And, and where do you start taking something out of your book now if, some, if, if a listener wanted to apply this right away? What's, the, what's your tried and true proven strategy to start today? Well, I think beginning with some form of meditation or self-reflection. And I would say active listening has three steps. The first step, which I associate with awake body, is mirroring practicing repeating back what you heard, practicing noticing uh, your experience as it is, that's the mirror. And then the second stage, which has to do with this tender heart, has to do with the curiosity about wanting to really bring out the best in somebody Mm. or bring out the best in a situation or weed the garden, as it were. And that has a lot to do with courage, like really encouraging others. And then the third step is opening your mind, which is really being willing, and this takes courage, willing to let go of what it is that you believe and have your mind changed, Uh, letting go of of yourself and being truly open to new ideas. You know, Susan, I was driving here to the studio today, and I was kind of, it was the morning, and I was still waking up, and I looked over and the local Presbyterian church in Sonoma said, it had a sign that said, be quiet enough to hear the whisper of God. And for uh-huh. the next, <laughs> all this, all that you're saying, I was thinking, was, oh, so this is so perfect. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. conversation and this listening that's going on right now. And I was like, oh, so that was my sign this morning just <laughs> uh-huh. to listen. Because in your work, Susan, you are saying this is as important in the relationship to one another as it is in the relationship to yourself, to truly finding your passion and your, your path and your inner truth in whatever, whatever that means mm-hmm. for your professional life or your, your personal life, um, as it is in the work, for example, that you've been doing in hospices and, and battered women's shelters. Um, it really it, It's applicable from you as an individual um, to to the entire world, natural world included? Well, what I believe is that right now at this point in history, we need to create a safety net for human beings to remember what it means to be a large world community. And that safety net is created one conversation at a time, one human being at a time, going back to the days where people sat on the front porch and talked to each other every day. And if we want to help create a resilient society, we really have to learn how to do this and give this gift to each other uh, every day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is Susan Gillis Chapman, family therapist and the author of The Five Keys to Mindful Communication, which joined us from Vancouver, British Columbia today. Again, Susan, your website is susangillischapman.com. Thank you for joining us today. Wonderful to have you. 
It's a great pleasure, wonderful pleasure to be part of your your important work. Yes, well, thank, thank you so you. much for sharing. I'm so excited for your book, Susan. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Oh, that was lovely. Well, uh, let's get that organic moment in here before, so we can listen to that as well today. <laughs> yes, my organic moment. Um, I've said many times on this show that I believe that the status of the soil is a reflection and determines the quality and well-being of any society. Poisoned land will produce a poisoned and disrupted society. Healthy soil will create a healthy society. So I've been thinking about a new social contract that we need because it seems that the old one is quite broken between our U.S. Constitution, the intention, and where we stand as a society today. I was pondering a new framework for decision-making and came across this old Wendell Berry poem. Um, that puts it so beautifully and so simply in perspective. It goes like this. There's another way to live and think. It's called agrarianism. It's not so much a philosophy as a practice, an attitude, a loyalty and a passion, all based in close connection with the land. It results in a sound local economy in which producers and consumers are neighbors and in which nature herself becomes the standard for work and production. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer is Kristen Ponger. Studio engineer, Robert Costa. Production assistant, Lauren Mulcahy. Underwriting production is provided by The Ear, the one and only Mark Van Gelder. Thank you all. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, visit iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. And we will be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye-bye now. Bye. Sometimes, but don't let them change your mind.